welcome back once again to the Theology Doesn't Suck podcast, where we talk in short, quick sound bites because it's really annoying if you're a listener. And I don't know. I don't got anything cool. As always, I'm Josh, the guy with the lame intros. Sorry, listeners. With me, as always, is the cool guy, Andy, with the cool intros and yeah, transitions. That's right. Thank you. Yeah, you just wait for my transition today. It'll be great. Oh, they're gonna be crazy. Yeah, they're gonna be crazy. Well, they always crazy. are. They always are. I don't. Hopefully, you listeners have picked up on. I really hope our listeners have picked up on that. I think that they, I always I think they have. That I always make some kind of absurd leap from our banter to our topic. <laughs> um, if not, please start picking up on that because yeah, that's Andy's thing. I need attention. My <laughs> thing is that I say let's go caps at the end of every episode. Pretty much. You do. Pretty much. Almost every episode. I think there's Almost. one or two missing, but you know, you'll get more consistent as time goes on, I think. That's true. Um it's just it takes practice. You know? Yeah, if I well if I don't do it, then the Caps aren't gonna win the Stanley Cup again this year, so no. I have to remember. Well, they're not gonna win the Stanley Cup anyway, Josh. Let's uh, be real. Uh, burr, burr, burr. Colorado burr, Avalanche. Burr. Burr, burr, burr. Dude, I don't blah, know blah, blah. The, the the Avs have been looking a little weak the last uh last few weeks we've kind of yeah we've we've hit we've hit a slide we've lost a lot of games yeah the caps um, have been on like a mini skid too they lost like three in a row something like that yeah um, it's frustrating it's really frustrating it's we i don't know what the problem is for the caps but i can say for the abs it's uh we don't get enough secondary scoring like our top line oh, is yeah. one of the best in the league hands down oh yeah but i our, think it's the best statistically we don't get yeah, we don't get a lot of secondary scoring though, and our defense is still inconsistent. Like they have some good games, but they have some bad games too. So I don't know. What I, what what about the Caps? What's the caps, their weakness? Yeah. So well, luckily they're off their little pouty skid. They won last night against Detroit, um, but they just do this thing where like they decide that playing hockey is cool sometimes, and other times they're like, yeah, hockey sucks. I don't <laughs> like, even I don't like that sport. Play. Yeah, basically, like, uh, literally, I'm pretty sure that's what they do, because they just come out <laughs> and look like they don't even know why they're there or don't want to be there. Really? And so, yeah, but they always do this thing where they, like, kind of skid a little bit before the All-Star break, because they're really looking forward to the break to rest up. Like, I don't know if you saw, but Alex Ovechkin was named the captain of the Metropolitan Division All-Star I team, did, and then he I was like... That. Yeah, I'm not going to go play. Um, so he's not going. <laughs> wow. Because he said he wants to rest. Uh, and so I feel okay. like the rest of the team was like, oh, yeah, well, the captain says he wants to rest, so we're not really going to – we're going to rest. He's getting kind of old, you know. Ovechkin's getting up there. But he's lighting so, it up, man. He's having a good season. You know, he McKinnon already has 30 actually, goals. Wait, really? He's already at 30 goals? Wow. Yeah, impressive. Is he the top scorer in the league? I think so. He might be. I know Landeskog – the captain of the Avalanche is uh, has at twenty five goals and he's tied for fourth in the league. I That's think. That's pretty good. So, so I I was just thinking thirtieth must be second or first then thirty yeah, goals. Yeah, it mean. has to be. I think the other person that might be up there is Patrick Line, uh, from Winnipeg. Has, yeah, but I'm not sure. He's been scoring a lot too. I haven't I haven't paid close attention to that lately, but uh, but yeah, good good for Ovechkin. You know, he's getting old, but he can still he can still snipe him in sometimes oh yeah and the dude's hilarious i like him he is hilarious that's true he's a funny guy <laughs> he's just goofy yeah but. well you know those russians they'll get you russian machine <laughs> never breaks is that so yeah that's that's a thing it's also a caps blog and so for all of you listeners 
who are Capitals fans, and for anybody who doesn't <laughs> care about hockey, you are now deemed an honorary Theology Doesn't Suck Washington Capitals fan. Go check out Whoa, Russian Machine. On. Does it break? <laughs> are, are we putting our podcast brand on the Capitals? I don't think that's fair. I think we're the official. <laughs> the, I think we're the official theology <clears throat> podcast sponsor of the Washington Capitals. I mean, if that was actually a deal we could work out, I wouldn't even be mad. Um, <laughs> it would just be really cool. <laughs> that that would just be surprising more than anything. <laughs> yeah, like, wait a minute. Um, like what? A theology podcast sponsor? The big problem though is to be a sponsor, you have to give them money. We don't have money to give them. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, so if any of you listeners want to give us money so we can become a sponsor <laughs> of the Washington Capitals, that would be good. Yeah, that would be a um, positive. Although, I don't know. They might not like like us sponsoring them since i'm an avs fan like they might not want divided loyalties like that that's true but i don't know we'll cross that bridge when we come to it i'm, I'm sure that'll happen event we'll we'll get there eventually we'll get there in the next about. week or so yeah we'll we'll start talking about because this episode this episode's to gonna sponsor. blow up our blow up <clears throat> our listener ratings yeah so we'll, we'll yeah be definitely. There next week and and we'll have trouble with football even more, I think, as far as which team we're sponsoring because I'm I grew up oh, in a yeah. Steelers family, and you're a Ravens Rut fan, Rome. so I am. I mean, neither of us follow football that closely, correct? I, I think, but uh, but theoretically, we have a very strong rivalry there. So yeah, we do. That could be tough. That could be tough. So this is the time when um, I say a hurtful thing like, "Oh, the Ravens made the playoffs <laughs> this year, and the Steelers didn't." Bada bada bada. Yeah, that's true. But the I didn't Steelers even watch the a, Ravens game, so <laughs> I I haven't watched any Steelers games this season, right? No, I haven't. I went to a Steelers game last year against the Ravens, actually. That's pretty cool. In Baltimore, and the Steelers the, and won. Steelers it was won, a lot of yeah. Fun. Good for them. I was honestly, when I went, I was a little scared for my safety, um, because Baltimore's known for being a somewhat sketchy city, and. <laughs> So I was kind of assuming huh. that the Baltimore that the Baltimore fans would be sketchy and that I would be like in physical danger for being a Steelers fan. Right. Uh but you know what that actually didn't turn out to be the case. The Baltimore fans were very nice and That's uh, good, man. Classy. I was I was pleasantly surprised. So Yeah, they're more interested in fighting each other. Like I don't know if you saw, but there's a <laughs> video that went viral at the Ravens game after they just lost uh this first playoff round or whatever. Like a fight mm-hmm. broke out amongst fans in the stands. Oh wow! And like Gosh. this guy punched some dude, and he fell down like three or four sets of, you know, rows of chairs oh, and stuff. No, that's <laughs> terrible. That's terrible. You know. Okay, so speaking of crazy, stupid football stuff, and then we can move on to cool. the actual episode. Um, but speaking of stupid football stuff, so, uh, the Eagles and the Bears just played in a yep. playoff game. And I don't know if you heard about this at all. I mean, I really, honestly, people, I don't follow football that closely, but I just felt I somehow heard about this anyway. Um, the bears lost by one point and they lost on a field. Like they were, they had a 43 yard field goal. It could have yep. been the game winning field goal yep. and it hit the upright and went out, um, which, and it actually, it got tipped by one of the defensive players. So it wasn't a total miss, but then like, the kicker of the Bears has been getting like hate mail and death threats. That's crazy. Ever since then, they had to escort him out of the stadium with like state police and all this crap. <laughs> and I'm just like, like if you're if you're willing to send death mail or death threats or even hate mail, like if you're willing to send hate mail to someone over missing a field goal in a football game, like yeah, it's crazy. You you have some issues, you know. Oh, like for you sure. need to check your priorities. 
Like, <laughs> I know I know that Mike from Chicago is pissed because now he's going to have to stop watching football and go, like, go on a date with his wife or, like, spend time with his kids or something. But, like, <laughs> you need to check your priorities, man. Like, that's ridiculous. It's so stupid. It's a, it's a game, you know? Oh, yeah. It's well, just... luckily... There are cool, cool Bears fans, Andy. You remember we oh, had yeah, I'm sure we are. had we had Marty on here recently. Marty Frederick. did Marty send did Marty send death threats to the kicker? I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I hope he didn't. Uh, no, he actually he like I mean immediately after the game he was posting like funny memes and like it's just a game we can laugh, haha. So he's cool. That's good. Um, I, I I wouldn't imagine Marty would be the death threat type. I'm not I'm not trying to cast all Bears fans into a negative mold. I was just shocked. Bears. By what I heard about that. Oh, any Although team's was, fans would do that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that happens. There are some bad eggs with any team. But I was I was really happy to see there were a lot of articles out about how all of his teammates are support the kicker's teammates are supporting him. And uh, Oh and yeah, for sure. Up for him. So that's nice. Um, oh, one Bears- one more thing. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, you go. You go. I was going to say one more annoying thing about or not annoying. Now I blew it. I was going to make a joke. Basically, I was going to say if you want to be a good football player, what you have to do is paint crosses on your face with that black paint, <laughs> and then I thought they have just lines, and then yeah, and then have uh, have like Philippians four thirteen on your cleats or like written on your oh, armband. Yeah, because if clearly a, that verse is about winning football games. It definitely is. Yeah, Philippians four thirteen. I can win all football games through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> I think um, it's about right. <laughs> yeah, but speaking of taking Bible verses out of context, Josh. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> today is our Q and A episode. Yeah. So I don't. I'm not sure how those two are related. I'll admit that one was even more of a stretch than usual for me. Um, yeah. It wasn't my best transition. I regret it a little bit. Well, just later be like, oh, Josh, your answer's dumb because you're just taking stuff out of context. And then yeah, it works perfectly. Yeah, I'll just have to off to do that. But uh, hopefully we don't do that today. Hopefully we don't take any verses out of context. Um, but So we got we got some questions from you guys, and uh, we're excited. Just just a, uh, a disclaimer for all <laughs> of you listening. I think my voice just cracked, which is awkward. I'm um, going through puberty. <laughs> yeah, I'm going through puberty. <laughs> um, a disclaimer for all of you listening. We did not do research to prepare for these questions. Uh, we are going to be firing from the hip, and we're going to have to move fairly quickly to get through all of them. Yes. Uh, so, so don't expect the most in-depth answer you've ever heard to your question. Uh, but hopefully we'll be able to touch on it and give you a little bit, uh, a little bit to chew on. And if you want more in depth of an answer, like if, if you like, don't feel like you got enough from this episode, feel free to contact us and ask for a full episode on the subject because we are not above just doing whatever you want to get listeners. (laughs) So so we'll, we'll do We're we're happy. I think some of these topics would actually make grateful. Yeah. I think we got some actually Um, pretty good. I was going to recommend that too, Andy. We got some good questions here. Even if you don't ask, even if you hate this whole episode and don't ever want us to talk about any of this stuff again, we might do a full episode on some of it. So uh, feel free to ask, though. Um, but I guess let's just dive right in. The first question, Josh, that we have lined up uh, could be summarized basically is why are there descendants of the Nephilim after the flood in Genesis? And so 
to to give a little background for those who might not know, in Genesis six, it talks about the Nephilim, which are these kind of like these this race of men that are like giant and super strong and crazy and scary. Um, <laughs> and it it talks about them. Uh, how it talks about them is it says that the sons of God came down. <coughs> And had relations with the daughters of men or something like that. Is that I? You know, what, I should flip to Genesis. Yeah, six, it's pretty. Like that's it. pretty much the idea. Like some angels I'm, came and. I'm gonna go to Genesis six. We'll see. And there's a little bit of debate about what exactly it's saying. So. Oh yeah. It says, uh, when man began to multiply on the face of the land, the daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, "My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh." In his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So there is some debate about, uh, I think there are some people who think that by sons of God and daughters of men, it means like sons of those who were like righteous and worshiped God and then like daughters of ordinary men. There are a lot of people who think that sons of God means like angels who came down and yeah spiritual um, beings bible yeah, project just did a huge series on this and they the hebrew okay. would, would more so definitely support that some kind of spiritual being uh, okay. i don't know if angels the right <clears throat> word but yeah which it could be angels i mean in the uh i believe it's in job that like the assembly of angels is referred to as like the sons of god yeah um so and honest, i'm going to be honest i haven't done a lot of research to take a hard position on what genesis 6 is talking about exactly um but the question is basically so in genesis 6 it talks about the nephilim and then there's the global flood with noah right after that and so supposedly um according to the bible all life on earth other than noah and his family and the animals in the ark were wiped out at that time and so after that though later on in the bible in I want to say Deuteronomy, um, when when the scouts of Israel are scouting out the land of Canaan, they encounter the descendants of the Nephilim. And so the question is, if the flood wiped out all the life on earth, why are there descendants of the Nephilim still there? So, uh, Josh, you want to take a crack at that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can give it a go, and I don't know if I'm going to be super satisfied with my answer. Um but I guess, because again, I haven't done much research on this this either, but uh, for me, I'd probably, I don't know, I'm going to get into deep waters and Andy's going to hate me. Um, but I would say, <laughs> I would say maybe it's because, uh, may, you know, maybe the earth wasn't completely flooded um, or maybe uh, the flood narrative is trying to teach us a larger picture than necessarily depict uh, straight up history. Um yeah, so I mean that's kind of the route I would go, um, but okay. I would also, I don't know. It also, th- and this is going to sound mean to whoever asked the question, but like I, I don't, <laughs> I don't think it matters. <laughs> um, no, I, no, I don't. This definitely isn't a question that our faith hinges upon, and I think I'm guessing yeah. the person who asked it probably knows. Oh, for sure, knows that. Um, but I would, I would definitely would disagree with you. I, I do think that Genesis is talking about a, an actual global flood. Um, so I, I thought about this a little today, though, and I have a couple theories that are totally. They could just swim very well. <laughs> no, my my theories, my theories are totally. I'm gonna be honest here. They're total speculation. Okay. So don't 
don't take this as anything other than just me thinking out loud. Um, but here's here's my two possible theories. Um, if 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 the Nephilim were going just with just like the more human side of things, uh, possibly the Nephilim, maybe one of the uh, the wives of Noah's sons was like descended from the Nephilim. Okay. And so that bloodline continued on that way. That's one of there my theories. Uh, there you go. That's a possibility. Another possible theory, obviously, if um, if in fact the sons of God referred to in Genesis 6 are angels, it could just be that they kept coming down and having sex with women after the flood, too. That's also true. Um, so those are my two, those are my two possible theories that I, I think could potentially be answers to it but again it's just total speculation so i think those are good answers though that's cool people yeah. probably people would like those maybe better than my answer um well you know people who believe the bible josh yeah well i mean there are <laughs> other very similar Sorry. ancient near eastern literature that looks very similar to the flood narrative but well josh you know maybe that's because in the bible we have the true account and then the other accounts are myths uh, based off of it there you go. That that would be how I would answer that, but we can get into that more later. Um, we need Jace on for that. That'll be a good uh, one to have Dr. Jace Broadhurst if we on. Bring, He's an Old if we Testament bring Jace expert. on, he'll smack me down, though, is the problem. Um, and he'll enjoy it. <laughs> uh, yeah, he will. Oh, he'll love every second of it. I guarantee you. Um, so let's move on to the next question, I guess, Dope. to keep it moving. Um, <clears throat> what are our stances on young earth creation versus theistic evolution like do we believe the earth was created in seven or six literal days um or do we believe in evolution um and then do we have any resources that we would recommend on the issue you go first sandy i'm actually interested to hear what you have to say okay well i am a young earth creationist um i believe in a literal literal six day creation because because I believe that that's what the text of the Bible best supports. Um, I think that other interpretations are stretching it. And I don't I don't think that the issue of whether creation was in six literal days in and of itself is an essential issue of the faith. But I do think that for our faith to make sense, you do need a literal Adam and Eve with an, with an actual fall into sin and things like that. And I think... I, I, I mean, I just think that the Bible teaches a literal six-day creation. I don't think there's much getting around that. Um, and then and then as far as the science aspect of it, I mean, I'm not super versed in it. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I've, I've done a little bit of reading on it. I do think – here's what I'll say. I, I think that there is enough um, – I've, I've seen enough to poke doubt in the scientific theories of evolutionists – that I'm not a hundred percent sold on them. And ultimately what it comes down to for me is I, the word of God scripture is my ultimate authority in life. And so uh, if, if it comes down to choosing between um, a theory of scientists or the word of God, I'm going to choose what I think the word of God teaches. And I, to some that probably sounds like old fashioned and backwards and things like that. <laughs> but um but if you look at the history of science, the understanding and theories of scientists have developed and changed and morphed time and time again. Sure. Uh, and So they evolved. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, sure. You could say, you could say that. You could say that the teachings of science have evolved. Um, and, and so I believe that the word of God is a far firmer foundation to stand on when we're trying to understand our universe. And so, I mean, I do believe that science is valuable and teaches us a lot. I'm not anti-science. Um, but I think, I mean, even from the scientific research I have done, I think there are problems with theories of evolution and things like sure, that. Sure. Um, and, and ultimately, if it comes to a point where I can't reconcile what some, what some scientists are saying and what the word of God is saying, I'm going to side with the word of God. Um, so the only resource I can really recommend, I'm not super well versed in this. Like I said, the creation, the creation, I can't talk the mm. creation research Institute, CRI, um, I, I mean, honestly, I haven't even done a ton of digging around with their stuff, but I've just heard good things about them. So that would be my, my only recommendation for further research on that. Yeah. What okay. are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, so for me, I'm, I would not consider myself a young earth creationist, um, for a couple reasons, but overall, like, and this is going to sound pr- maybe cliche to some people, but I think asking this question is asking the wrong question. I don't think the Bible is trying to address the answer that people are looking for. I don't think the Bible is trying to be a science textbook. Um, And and the way people wrote history and uh, wrote poetry, uh, you know, during the time when, you know, Genesis was written, um, I don't think they kind of had the same uh, mindset. They didn't read things the same way that we do. Um, and so I think it's asking the wrong question. I'm far more interested in in what we can learn from the Genesis accounts, how that can help us grow in our faith, how we can relate to God better uh, because of that. And one, I mean, I guess just one thing, just to, to use Andy's word, to push back on Andy a little bit. Um, like <laughs> yeah. I, once, once I discovered kind of like the idea in Genesis that the Bible presents the world as a flat disc with like a dome over it, like literally a dome, like picture a snow globe. And the flat disc is kind of up on pillars and there's waters below that shield. Um, and then there's <laughs> waters above the dome. And like when it rains, God opens the door and like pours water in. Um, once I started seeing those things, I was like, okay, these are clearly ancient Near Eastern people. They're coming up with a theory and uh, an idea and understanding uh, based off the information that they're given. And so they're not necessarily, I don't think the Bible's trying to be a science textbook is, is basically my answer. And so I, mean, I don't think it necessarily, I just, I don't think it's the right question. Fair enough. I see, I see what you're saying there. I would, and I would just disagree a little and say, I think that I, while I agree the Bible is not trying to be a science textbook, there's a lot that science can teach us that the Bible doesn't teach us about. Sure. Um, I think you would probably see the Genesis account more as like poetry and more of like trying to present ideas rather than like the ideas behind the creation account more than the reality of the creation account itself. Right. Would that be a fair characterization? Probably. It has has ideas that it's trying to get across more than anything. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's a gross oversimplification, (laughs) but yes, basically. Yes. Whereas, Uh, whereas I would say, I, I the way that I I see it being written is I I see it as actual history and so I mean for for those of you listening you it's worth it to do research yourself. Oh yeah, most look definitely. Into, look into what you think the text is presenting because ultimately uh <clears throat> it's going to hinge a lot on that whether you think the text is trying to convey actual history or whether it's um a way of presenting ideas. Yeah. Right, would you say that's fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I mean just one thing 
Well, I mean, we're going to have to move on because we're taking a lot of time. But one thing I would say is uh, like when we uh, when like one one way that I read the Bible is um, I would say instead of like literally, literarily is a better word, I think. So like Mm -hmm. I kind of take the approach that when I come to the Bible, if I if something is written stylistically as poetry, I'm going to remember that it's poetry and treat it as such the same way if I picked it. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of which the, I would agree with. I would agree with that idea. I just don't think that that account is written as poetry. That's fair. <laughs> right on. So that's that's where the disagreement comes in, I guess. Um, which we can't. We definitely don't have time to get into all the technical. No, because we have a gajillion more questions to get there. But uh, feel free to look into that question for yourself, or if you want a full episode on it, request it, and we'll we'll uh, argue till. Until we're dead. Yeah. So, um, does that sound oh, I good? would, I would say go check out Inspiration and Incarnation by Pete Enns and the Evolution okay. oh, of yeah. Adam. There's your resource from Josh. So I recommended Creation Research Institute, and yours was Inspiration and Incarnation. Correct. By Pete Enns. Yes. So there you go. Um, question numero trace number three. Uh, what is the armor of God? And why is it important? Josh, you want to go first? Or do you want me to go? Um, sure. Well, I would, I mean, I'll give a quick answer to this one. I just think, cause you know, it, it basically talks about different like spiritual characteristics that we can have and kind of, it uses the metaphor of that being <clears throat> spiritual armor. And so I think more so yep. what it is, it's, is it's almost just a way, it's a way of living. Um, you know, I don't want to break it down into like, to be a more moral person because the Bible's way more than just a book of morals. Um, but I mean, it basically is like a way of living uh, to be like a righteous person. It's kind of how I would explain it. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, <clears throat> I'll give a pretty quick answer on this one too. You can find the passage, uh, the main passage, it's mentioned other places, but the main passage on the armor of God is in Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 20. Yep. Um, and ba- I, I, w- I would basically say it's Paul is just talking about the different aspects of the spiritual life yep. uh, that equip us for that. It, the different aspects of spirituality that equip us for life, you could almost say. So he talks about salvation. He talks about the gospel. He talks about prayer, truth, things like that. So, yeah. um, I mean, you could get into the details of what each one is, but we don't have time for that here. But I would say if as to the why it's important part, just it's important because we need to be equipped to live as Christians. <laughs> yeah. And I think also too, there is, I mean, I don't know what you think about this kind of stuff, Andy, but there is like a spiritual element to it in the sense that like we're fighting against, um, you know, rulers and principalities, things that are not of this world. And so you could also get into the spiritual warfare kind of, uh, you know, topic with the whole armor of God as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is, in a sense, a spiritual battle going on where, you know, fighting against temptation, fighting against, uh, if you want to get really charismatic about it, you could say, like, demons and things, like, which, right. I mean, I believe in demons. I believe in that demons and the devil can try to tempt Christians and lure them away. So that's a real thing. But uh, go to Ephesians 6. Check it out for yourself. There are tons of good commentaries and resources online and in books and stuff yeah, about yeah, the armor yeah. of God. So. So I would encourage you to check those out uh, at your leisure. Um, but question number four, and here's where 
I think we'll, we should probably give a quick answer yeah, for the quick. benefit of our, ourselves and our listeners just so that we don't get into a full-fledged debate. <laughs> but is the Old Testament reliable history? Meaning, I think the question basically is, like, are is did history happen as the Old Testament describes it? Uh, well, my answer would be is what do you mean by history? Because the way that we write history nowadays is very different than how, uh, you know, biblical authors uh, would record history. They weren't as concerned with um, exact numbers and exact details uh, the way that, you know, we are today. Um, so I think mm-hmm. that the, the I would say the Old Testament is definitely historical, um, that there mm-hmm. are very much elements of history present within the text. But um, I would also leave room to say that, like, that you know, it, it might not have happened exactly the way that's described. And I would point to different things like where we have uh, different accounts in like Kings and Chronicles almost back to back of the same event. And they talk about it very, very differently. So it's like, which one of those is right? That that would be my quick answer. Okay. And my, <clears throat> my quick answer to the question, is the Old Testament reliable history would be yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so... <laughs> We can again. That's a that's another one that we could definitely do, and that kind of goes back to the Noah thing too, right? The flood right, and all that. Um, we could definitely do a full episode on this. That's one. It's hard to like really tackle that question in a short space. Um, so definitely let us know if you want to hear more about that because I think we could definitely do a good long episode on that one. Oh, for sure, we could do a series um, on that one. <laughs> yeah, for real. So. Moving on, uh, we have a longer question. Most of the questions that we got, I paraphrased for brevity. Uh, but this one, I left full length, or basically full length, so that we could understand what's going on. And this is from our good friend, Justin, uh, at the Push the Narrative podcast. So, shout out to Justin for submitting yeah, you. this question. Um, but this question, for those of you who haven't heard it, uh, this question was basically based uh, off of our Calvinism episode that we did a while back. If you haven't heard that episode, go check it out. It was pretty good, I think. I it was pretty good. Uh, so we, d- we did that a few episodes back. We talked about what is Calvinism. So go go back and check that out. But this question uh, comes from that episode. And so Justin said this. He said, Josh used the analogy of the world being like a burning building that God created. When, and that's talking about within the system of Calvinism, the fact that of that we are all sinful and need salvation from our sin. Um, and he says, I think Andy rightfully corrected the analogy to being that man created the fire, sin, in the first place. However, if we believe what we believe, Adam and Eve struck the matches, not me or you. And so we are born now into sin. If that's the case, how do we handle God's justice when sin is embedded into our being? If I don't have a choice but to just be born into a man-made fire and God has the ability to save me but doesn't, then isn't that unjust? So, um, well, for to summarize clarity, that question. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say for clarity purposes, Justin actually did a better job asking the question that I was trying to ask you during the episode. Um, because okay. yeah. I made I made that analogy up on the fly. It's not like something I had thought through. And oh, very totally. quickly, and literally as I was giving the analogy, I was like, oh, well, I see where the loophole in this is. But he's asking just, the question I was trying to ask. <laughs> and I want to I wanna maybe – that was a long question, so I'm going to try to condense it as best as I can. But I think Justin's basically asking if Adam and Eve caused 
original sin, which which then causes all humans to have a sinful nature and to yep. turn away from God, to rebel against God, which is what I what I believe as a as a reformed Christian. Um, then then why is it fair since I don't have a choice, but I'm just like I'm just born into being sinful, is basically the question, right? I think that that's probably a, I think that's probably fair, and I think it's also getting at too. Uh, is God a just God for knowing and creating a world that he knew very well what the people were going to do and then yeah. like still did it kind of thing? I think that's kind of what it's getting yeah. at as well. Is that a so, just thing to do? <clears throat> so I'll, I'll go first on this one, but then Josh, feel free to throw in your thoughts on this because it's to both of us. So my, my thought on this, though, would be um, in Reformed Theology, the, how we would understand this is, uh, I, one of the phrases that Justin used, he said, if I don't have a choice, but just to be born into a man-made fire and God has the ability to save me, but doesn't, um, I think, I think the real issue there is that as we, we in reformed in the reformed camp believe that humans do still have a choice and they, they choose sin. Um, and so, I mean, that is part of our sin nature, but we are still responsible for our choice. And that's, that's clearly what scripture teaches is that humans are responsible for their choices. They deserve to be judged for their choices. Um, and that we choose sin, we choose evil, we choose to rebel against God. And so because we actually choose it, we actually will it, we're responsible for it. Um, and so it's not unjust for God to allow us to be judged for our sin, it's actually amazing that he would choose to save any of us in the first place. And yeah. so that's the way we would see it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a different way to kind of come at it. Um, uh, I'm trying to get into your brain, Justin, if you're listening. <laughs> so like do telepathy or something. Is there a Christian telepathy? I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. No, we just okay. Got into some really charismatic waters here. Yeah, there we go. Crap! I well, I totally lost my train of thought, and now I'm trying to stall. Um, but so, all right. I'm just gonna. This might not even touch answering the question, but I want to say something that I do think is beautiful, uh, because I do think that that God knew that people were gonna mess up, and the cool thing is, God uh, created us to be in relation uh, with Him. Because he wanted relationship with us. And God already had a plan in place uh, because he knew people were going to jack it up and mess it up. And so God became, you know, Emmanuel, God with us. And so God, um, you know, basically solved the, the problem so that he could continue to be in relation with us. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that so, doesn't get at the question, but it's a thing. So, Josh, would you say you, you said that God had a plan are you saying that God eternally <laughs> decreed everything that would come to pass? I don't know, but okay, I'm well, saying well, God's pretty smart. <laughs> I'm, maybe I'm more hinting at foreknowledge. Well, I don't know well, if if He already foreknew everything was, that was going to happen. What's the difference, really? I mean, but some some people basically. would argue that because God is uh, all giving, and mm-hmm. they would use kenosis, He's essentially kenotic, that He's all giving, all pouring out. That God is all knowing in the things that God can know without interfering with free will. It gets really messy and, and dirty. And that's and I'm not what saying we call I... open theism. <laughs> <laughs> so. And open theism is heresy. Anyway, sorry, Josh. Um, <laughs> no, it's all good. I, I, I was just saying that's a thing people say. That is a thing people say. Um, yeah, so 
again, we, we and I, I did touch more on that, I think, in the Calvinism episode. So if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. But basically, my answer as the one who's kind of under questioning there is that we do choose our sin genuinely. And so it's still we're still responsible for it. Sure. So it's amazing that God saves us at all. Um, but speaking of Calvinism, Josh, our next question here yeah. you go. I I don't know if you'll even have an answer to this because this is really like a, a reformed person's debate, sure. <laughs> I feel like. Um, oh, it very much so is. It's super. But our so- next question, it was it was offered to us by my good friend, uh, James Adair, who goes to my church. And I think he kind of suggested it, um, I think kind of as a joke. I don't think he was super serious. <laughs> I, I don't even know if James ever listens to the podcast, honestly. So, uh but but we'll do it anyway. So he asked superlapsarianism or infralapsarianism. Now Josh, do you know what those two giant theological words mean? So I have a general idea of the debate. I probably couldn't give you a definition okay. of both of them. I know that it what it, it is, it has to do with the logical order of God's uh decrees. And so there like you it, go. it gets right, in, man. It gets into like the idea like is God the author of sin, blah blah blah, like that kind of stuff. Yes, it does. So so you are right. I mean, what you said is perfectly right. So it is uh, it is the the logical order of God's decrees. And so basically superlapsarianism and infralapsarianism, it's an in-house debate with, uh, with Calvinists basically, which is basically did God – which we believe that God decreed everything that right. comes to pass. First of all, that's important to note here. Um, and so then the question is, did God – decree the uh the fall and then decree the plan of salvation or and like then elect his his people or did he decree his election of people and then decree the fall and this is not temporal because you can't really put a time stamp on god's decrees because they're eternal uh, but it's the logical order. So it does not have to do with the time. It's not which one came first in time, but it, logically speaking. Right. So really I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to preface this with, this is not a debate that I find to be super important. <laughs> um, uh, you know, maybe there are some reformed people who will disagree with me, but I, I should also mention, so supralapsarianism is a view that God elected his chosen people before before, the, before he decreed the fall logically speaking and infralapsarianism is the view that god decreed the fall before he elected his people logically speaking so um i will tell you that when i've thought about this before i would say i fall in the infralapsarian camp so i believe that the logical order of god decrees of god's decrees right it's the fall comes before election yeah just because there would be no purpose for election without the fall right and so i don't see i don't see why god would decree election before decreeing the fall logically speaking once again not temporally speaking logically speaking um so i am in the infralapsarian camp but josh do you have thoughts on this or i mean to be honest i really don't like the little stuff that i do know is that that's you know there's a debate between that and then there's also like a calvinist position where they're like well this is dumb and it doesn't matter because you can't really find scripture to support support it so it doesn't matter i i I would say that this is like a 
So, you know, there are primary matters that are essential to the faith. There are secondary matters that are important, but not essentials. There are tertiary matters, which are like, <laughs> you know, they have some significance. Um, I would put this in like the fifth tier. The dork we want to argue category. Yeah, like it might be fun to just, <laughs> it might be fun to discuss sometimes, but like it really doesn't matter. Sure. Um. So, so that's the camp I'd fall into on that. But if I had to pick a side, I would pick infralapsarianism. So... For all of our listeners who we just lost because you're super bored now, uh, come back. We're moving on. <laughs> um, so question seven. Here, This is a real hard hitter. Someone just really wanted us to lose listeners over this. Yep. Um, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? That How is should gay. We ap- <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Is, is that an oh, acceptable no. answer? <laughs> Oh no. Okay, and then how should we approach those who are members of the LGBTQ community was the second part to that question. Oh my gosh, wow. Um Do you want to go first, Josh? Yeah, I think I broke Andy. Um oh, yeah. <laughs> Cuz I made a joke. All right. Well, this and I mean to be honest, this is a question that like I um have a hard time with because it's a very personal question to me. Uh, my brother is gay, um, and also have uh, some like really close uh, gay friends as well. Um, and so I think, I don't know, I, I think about this question a lot. But so what does the Bible say about homosexuality? I think in the old, like any Old Testament reference, uh, and Andy might disagree with me on this, I think we can uh, write off because people basically go to Leviticus and then they go with that. But then, you know, we're under a new covenant, not the old covenant. Hebrews says that the old covenant is obsolete. Uh, and we're under the new covenant, the blood of Christ. And so I think Leviticus, you know, can get that out of here. But that doesn't help uh, things that Paul talks about. And so there are a couple times when Paul mentions like, hey, don't sleep with a dude uh, if you're a dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I've, you know, I've heard arguments about people would say, okay, well, at this time, like, um, you know, with slavery and all, people like some men would rape other men as like a dominance thing uh, to like claim ownership, things like that. And um, Paul saying, no, we should be equal. So I've heard those those debates. Um, I really don't have a, a solid uh, answer for you. My uh, answer to the second bit, though, how should we approach the members of the LGBTQ community? Um, I would just say like any other normal person, um, I tend to err on the side of grace um, and, you know, treat them just like anybody else and love them and mm-hmm. like i said my brother's gay some of my closest friends are gay and so hmm. yeah yeah well so i mean i would i would certainly say when it comes to what does the bible say about homosexuality that first part i i think it's quite clear that the bible says homosexual activity is sinful sure um that that the only place for sexual activity is between a man and a woman in marriage and so, I mean, so, so like you said, there's the Old Testament references, obviously, in, the, in like, the Levitical law and stuff like that. But then there's also, you have Romans 1 where Paul uses homosexual activity as, like, his prime example of the depravity of the human race. Sure. And so, I, I think that, in from my understanding of Scripture, it's very clear that homosexuality is sinful. It's against how God designed us. It's wrong. Um, but then in in terms of how should we approach those who are members of the LGBTQ community, I think there's, there's two extremes to avoid here. So some people get so caught up 
with homosexuality as a sin and they like elevate it it becomes this huge issue where they treat it as way worse than all these other sins and like yeah. gay people have like you can't touch them or talk to them or anything because <laughs> you'll catch and I the think gay that's, yeah exactly you'll catch <laughs> the gay i think that's wrong that's wrong so homosexuality is sinful but it's a sin just like any other sin and so so we shouldn't treat it like it's so much worse than all these other sins like like mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. people who's people who who have homosexual attraction i don't think are they're not any worse than you or me i mean like it's it's the same kind of sin as someone who struggles with lust who is heterosexual it's sexual sin in the same sense okay um on the other side there are people who like want to downplay it so much and avoid talking about it and avoid acknowledging that it's a sin and i think that's a problem too so i think you have to find that middle road and and really ultimately treat it like any other sin where where difficulty can come up in our culture today is that homosexual like homosexuality has become like an identifier for so many people it becomes right. what they put their identity in and that makes it a really hard issue to deal with because then when you tell them that homosexuality is wrong they think you're telling them that who they are is wrong like that's what they right, built right. their identity on and so that can be a tough thing to do but i mean my 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 thoughts on approaching people in the gay community is really approach them in love, uh, approach them with kindness, but also don't be afraid to call sin sin when you need to. You right. have to have that balance of biblical love and caring for them and showing them that you care, but also not not hiding the truth of God's word. I would sure. Say. Yeah, and I also think too, like one one thing that I always say and and encourage people to do is like, um, you know, especially like my brother is like dude you need to like you know go spend time with god you know read your bible and like you need to you know kind of take that up with god kind of thing mm-hmm. um i don't know I, some people would say that's a cop out or write off but i think like just like anything uh spend time when you spend time talking with god about things and are open and honest and are willing to receive and hear from god um with a genuine open heart uh you know, I don't know. I think that's positive for, for any kind of things. Just good practice yeah. in general. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so our next question in this wonderful line of questions, I wasn't sure if this question was a joke or, or <laughs> what was going on with this one. But the question was basically, what's the biblical boundary between home decor and idolatry? <laughs> so, so i don't know if this person was like talking about people who spend way too much money on stuff at target um my if this is a serious question my theory is that maybe they're asking about like images of christ that's that's where my brain goes um so i think we should address it that way and this sure. question was asked by my friend uh jesse who i went to high school with so shout out to jesse um so josh what what are what are your thoughts on having images of christ and things like that i mean i don't see a major issue with it i i think idolatry is a major issue in general i think idolatry tends to be the root of of sin as a whole but that's because i look at sin uh vocationally which that's a whole other question um (laughs) (laughs) but so i think like i think it's fine to have like a you know if you want to have a cross on the wall or a crucifix or a picture of jesus as long as you know that that thing is not god and you're not worshiping that thing um Mm. because i think even too 
uh, and this is a big one that people get worked up about. I think the Bible can very much become uh, an idol. We can worship the Bible rather than God. Uh, and, you know, I guess that falls into home decor because a lot of people just have a Bible as decoration. They don't actually read it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of snarky, though. I shouldn't say stuff like that. That was pretty snarky. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> but I don't know. So, I, I mean, I don't see a major problem with it as long as you acknowledge that this painting I have of Jesus, although maybe it's beautiful, uh, it is not Jesus himself. It's not God. So don't worship that um, thing. Make sure that, you know, you're worshiping God. Yeah. And honestly, this is an issue where I am not totally sure where I fall. Um, What a shocker, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, I've gone back and forth on this issue a little bit. I mean, so the, one of the big issues that people would have is there are many in the reformed camp who would say that having an image of Christ is a violation of the second commandment, which is not to make any graven images. Right. Um, and so obviously implying don't make any images of God. Uh, there are also some within the reformed camp though, such as the late RC Sproul, who I very much respect, who argue that the incarnation itself basically is license for images of christ oh yeah for sure um, that's a good argument and so and and i do find that argument somewhat compelling i've gone back and forth on this issue i don't have a solid answer i would encourage you though to to go and examine more deeply the arguments for both sides because i think both sides have valuable arguments um i would say this though if you do have any images of christ any pictures or paintings or anything like that you should not use them as objects of devotion yes um so you should not be praying to them or like using them to pray or worshiping them in any way or like you or even i would say using them as part of worship in any way um you can have them if you take that view but i would i would no matter what i would say you should not be using them as any part of your worship of god uh, because that is where idolatry certainly slips in. Sure. So, um, so yeah, I'm I'm not totally sure where I fall on that, but I definitely would discourage using images of Christ as any kind of devotional or worship resource. Yeah. Yeah. So, hopefully that was helpful, Jesse. Uh, <laughs> good luck with that. And if you were, if it was a joke, and you were talking about like the Target ladies, just like give yourself a budget, man. Um, <laughs> So number question number nine we have here, how do we reconcile the command to give to whoever asks of us, which is found in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, with pieces of scripture that call us to stewardship, taking care of our families, things like that. So what are your thoughts on that, Josh? Yeah, well, this first off, I'd like to say thank you, Dalton, for sending us this question. This is my buddy Dalton. I went to college with him. Uh, That's so a good sweet. question. Yeah, thanks, Dalton. So my initial reaction would one be yes we are called to be uh generous and the things that that we have our possessions don't really belong to us everything belongs to god so i think of uh generosity and money and our stuff is like an open hand like you know if someone needs this more than me uh you know here you go and that's i mean obviously that's a an ideal i'm not saying i'm i'm perfect at that um but that's that's kind of the view i hold which is why people make fun of me when I get upset about like the whole 10% thing and tithing, because I think people use that as a way to cut off their generosity. Cause very, very often mm-hmm. do I hear people say, Oh, I can't give anymore. I've already given my 10%, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I'm being very dismissive and I apologize, but like we're called to be overly generous people. And so I think when we are to be good stewards, then 
uh, if we're stewarding God's resources and God is the one telling us to be generous, uh, then I, I don't see an issue with it, that we can be generous. I think what happens sometimes that, you know, I would give a warning against is people will use, you know, verses about like being good stewards and, and things like that uh, to be selfish and to justify the building and, and growth of a ton of wealth and say, oh, well, I'm just being a good steward. That's why I have all this money laying around and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I think you can start to get into some prosperity gospel kind of things there. Uh, but overall, I would say be generous. Keep the things that you possess that are all gifts from God. Uh, hold on to them with open hands um, because you never know when somebody less fortunate might need it. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I would agree with a lot of what you said. I would say, I, I would say, I mean, you have to look at the, the larger context of the Sermon on the Mount too. I don't think everything that, Jesus is saying on the in the Sermon on the Mount is a literal command in the strictest sense. Sure, uh, but he's presenting a larger kind of ideal. Yes, um, throughout the Sermon on the Mount of of what uh, what someone who obeys God looks like, and so um, I do think we're, as Christians we are called to radical generosity, and I think it it to a, to the point where we should be uncomfortable with it at times, and that's something that I know I need to grow in a lot. Still, I have a lot of work to do in that area in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that there is, um, there is a responsibility to be responsible to some degree. Sure. <laughs> that was redundant. A responsibility to be responsible <laughs> as Christians. We are called to handle, handle the resources God gives us responsibly. I mean, it's either in first or second Timothy. I believe that it says, uh, the one who doesn't provide for his family is worse than a pagan. <laughs> um, so, so that we do have responsibilities. We should be taking care of the families that God has given us. We should be taking care of the things that God has given us in a healthy way. Uh, but that healthy way is not the way that the world says to do it. Right. And so we have to be careful when, when we talk about taking care of our families and being responsible, that doesn't necessarily mean giving our kids all of the stuff that the world says they should have, or letting our right. kids do everything right. the world says they should have, or, or giving our wives everything that the world's, the world says they should have. We need to make sure we provide for and care for our families well in the way that God calls us to but we're also called to radical generosity and that's mm-hmm. not going to going to be something that is comfortable by the world's standards. And no. so I mean, we, do, we do have to hold these things intention a little bit and it does require some, some discernment to figure out exactly where the balance is. Um, but I guess, I guess that's, that's about what I would have to say on that. Perfect. So uh, moving on to question 10. How is Christianity different from other religions, and do we all worship the same God? And Josh, I think this was from someone you know. Do you know who this was from? Uh, I actually don't remember. Well, <laughs> whoever you are, thank you for your question. Actually, it um, could it, it might be my friend Mark. I think it's Mark. it's all phrased right. differently. <clears throat> it is. I I rephrased a lot of these yeah. So I I think for, it uh, could I think clarity. it could be my buddy Mark. And if it's not you, Mark, I, st- I you know I love you. Whatever. Um, he still loves you anyway yeah mark's a cool dude so yeah the question did did you already say the question yeah you did how is christianity different from other religions do we all worship the same god all right so and 
Go uh, ahead. Okay, cool. I was just going to say, um, when I, because this is a common objection, you know, like when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, you know, and no one gets to the Father except through me. And a lot of times people say, wow, that's really messed up because that's saying there's only one path to God when really there's many paths, you know, up the, you know, proverbial mountain, so to speak, that lead to God. <laughs> and so I yeah. think, I think the problem with that is that it has some faulty assumptions, one of which is that God is up on a mountain somewhere. I think Christianity uh, we don't have to climb a mountain to to get God because God, yeah. uh, you know, came down to us, the incarnation. Huh. And, but also, yeah. but also, that's the idea of works righteousness versus you know salvation uh, through grace by faith alone. And so we don't need yeah. to ascend a mountain because God has come to us. Uh, but also, yeah. if God truly is incarnate in the person of Jesus, then it only makes sense that if Jesus is God then God is the way to God. And the beautiful news is that God came to us as Jesus. So like that, it's not. And so I think uh, I'd be careful. I'm not saying that all other religions are just completely false. I think you can find truth in other religions. Um, But what I am saying is that the Jesus is the only thing that's fully true. Um. Mm. Yeah, Christianity uh, is the ultimate truth because we have the incarnation, uh, God with us, um, if that makes sense. So do we all worship the same God, Josh? Uh, I don't know. That's a hard question. I guess probably not. Um, I think people try to, but maybe because their means is, is kind of jacked up, it just kind of doesn't really go anywhere might be the best way I can, um, summarize that because if Jesus is the way to God, because Jesus is God, if you're trying to get to God another way that isn't Jesus, maybe your intentions are, I'm trying to worship Yahweh or cause I know we share, um, you know, technically speaking, like, uh, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all claim to be Abrahamic faiths and worshiping the same God. We would argue that, you know, for various reasons that um, Jesus is the way to God. And so if you're not going through Jesus, then, you know, you're not getting God because Jesus is God. So I guess, no, we yeah. don't. Or it's mis- misguided attempts to. Okay. Yeah. And so I would say, I mean, along the same lines as josh on some of this i would say how is christianity different from other religions well essentially if you really want to simplify it every other religion tells you how to work your way to god what moral precepts you should live by like how you should live your life in order to do well and to get paradise or nirvana or heaven or whatever that goal of that religion is um but christianity is the only religion where god saves us totally by grace apart from any merit or work of our own and so uh, Christianity is absolutely different from other religions. It's as ba- basically as radically different as it possibly could be from other religions uh, because Christianity is not teaching us a moral system or how to earn our way to God, but it's, it's telling us the good news right. that in Christ, God has given himself for us. Yep. And so, so that you're not going to get that anywhere else. So it's, it's actually radically different from every other religion. Um, and then do we all worship the same God? I would, I, I feel comfortable giving just a very strong no to that. Yeah. Um, even with the other Abrahamic religions, I think uh, once you reject Christ, which is God's fullest revelation of himself, uh, you've rejected God. And so I, I believe every other religion, this, this might sound harsh to some of, some of you listening, but I believe every other religion is worshiping a false God. 
Um, and so, pretty straightforward. Yep. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, next question. I know we're getting kind of long, so we'll try to get through these last few questions pretty quick. Uh, but what is your interpretation of the older son in the parable of the prodigal son? Uh, yeah, so I think if you guys just want I'll give a quick resource. One of the coolest books I've read about this, you know, the parable of the prodigal son is actually by Tim Keller, and it's called The Prodigal God. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. Super good. Um, but basically, yep. it, po- it points out different, like, cultural things that we don't pick up on because really this, the focus, uh, Keller argues, is actually a lot more on the older son uh, because mm-hmm. of the audience Jesus is speaking to, which is the Pharisees. And so he's uh, aligning the Pharisees uh, with the older son. And so yeah. that's, that's I mean, it's a bigger question, and we could really go go into it, but that's that's what I would say. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I would. I also actually would highly recommend that book. That is a great book, um, and I would agree with Josh and and with that book that you know the Jesus is speaking to an audience of the Pharisees. The older son is a device being used to represent the Pharisees and the older son. And it's interesting at the end of the story, um, as Keller points out in his book, uh, there's there's no like final closure with the older son of what happens, whether the, whether the son joins the father. And so I think the older son figure in the parable is kind of supposed to be a challenge to the Pharisees. Like, what are you going to do? I agree. Uh, So, so I would highly recommend that book, the prodigal, it's called the prodigal God. Yeah. Yep. By Tim Keller. Um, And so, um, but basically, yeah, the older son is a challenge to the Pharisees Uh, and the older son, you know, he, he never truly loved his father. He always worked for his father and never loved him and understood his blessings and his grace and just loved him. So uh, that's kind of the challenge there. So check out that book. I'm sure there are articles and things summarizing it better too. Um, but I will try to remember to put that in the show notes. Product of God by Tim Keller. <laughs> uh, so number 12, this is our second to last question. Uh, what do you consider to be essential Christian- essential to Christianity? So what are the essential elements of the faith? Yeah, and uh, basically, too, what it, it looks like if you go on for it, where it says, for example, you just accepted Jesus. What do you believe is essential to do slash not do with the rest of your life? Or is you believing all that's required? Um, so I would say that if, um, you know, you believed and then you've, you know, have the gift of the Holy Spirit and it's been realized, then uh, you're going to be moved to, um, you know, to good works. And the Bible tells us that we are created, um, you know, God has good works uh, for us to do and, you know, all those kind of cool things. So I, I think, I think if you just say, oh, I believe, you know, Jesus is God or Jesus is Lord or whatever, and then your life doesn't mm-hmm. reflect it, I don't think you truly believe it. Um, I, I, because I think, I mean, we are saved ultimately by faith through grace alone. And so no works uh, saves us, but I think... Yeah. You know, if you truly have had an encounter with the risen Christ and, you know, the Holy Spirit is working in you, then there are going to be other things that happen. There's going to be fruit, you know, to use the Christian yeah. word, there's going to be fruit of um, yeah. that relationship. Yeah, I, th- I think we'd be in essential agreement here. I mean, I think if you recognize your sinfulness and your need for a savior and you trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation, you put all your faith in him then that's all that's required to be saved. And that's all that saves you. And and that's the only way you can be saved is by faith in Christ and Christ alone. Um, 
And so in that sense, that's all that's essential is faith in Christ. Yep. Uh, but I agree. I agree with Josh totally um, that those who are saved uh, will be sanctified, you know, made holy. Sanctified. We will, yeah. God will, God will be at work in us by his spirit. And the, and the Bible is very clear about this, that, that believers bear fruit. Like Josh said, believers will be transformed, will be changed. Now, <clears throat> That's not to say I you can't go around putting some specific standard on someone like if you sure. have this much fruit you're saved and if you don't you're not um the fr- the fruit that God brings about in each person's life will look different um and you know for example the thief on the cross he accepted Christ he didn't have time to bear much fruit yeah yeah <laughs> you know he prof- he professed his faith in Christ and that was it he died um and he was truly saved Jesus said today you will be with me in paradise um, so it's not like you have to reach a certain level of fruit. So in no way does your fruit or your good works after salvation actually save you or contribute to salvation. Your salvation is not dependent on that. Uh, but God will be at work in you if you're a true believer. And that's just a fact. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's about, that's about all there is to say on that. I'm, I think we're in agreement on that one. Um. Now, our very last question, saved the best for last. <laughs> uh, it, okay, so this <laughs> this question is written very simply. It says, end times? Question the signs mark. when Christ will... <laughs> end, end times? Question mark. <laughs> the signs when Christ will return, period. So I'm guessing it's the question is just asking, what do we believe about the end times and the return of Christ? Yeah, and basically. I'm- yeah, I think so, and I would say go listen to our episode on Revelation. Haha, <laughs> just kidding. We did do an uh, episode, we did do on, an episode Revelation. on Revelation. Yeah, basically, I would say all the hoopla about like uh, you know using using the Book of Revelation and end times as like newspaper theology to say this you know clearly shows the Russians and this shows the Taliban and blah 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 is I think complete utter nonsense. Um, I think Agreed. I think ultimately what we can look forward to in the end times, which is the ultimate hope of, you know, the Christian faith of the Bible is that there will be a physical resurrection of us as of, you know, believers and that God is going to restore um, his good creation, that heaven and earth are going to come together. We see, uh, uh, we don't see us, you know, floating up and living in the sky somewhere. Rather, we see a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven uh, to be reunited and restored here on earth. Um, and it's a beautiful mm-hmm. picture where creation will be fully set back to right. You know, and the Bible talks about uh, God will be, you know, with his people and, and we'll, he'll be our God and we'll be his people and that his presence will fill the earth like, you know, waters fill the seas. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful picture of a, basically a return to the Garden of Eden. Uh, so that's, that's what we have uh, to look forward to. That's that would be my answer. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I would, if you want to put technical terms on it, I would define myself as a millennial. Yeah, so, me too. Uh, so premillennial people would say that there's they they take the book of Revelation quite quite literally, and they think that there's going to be you know like a a tribulation and then a rapture or a rapture and then a tribulation and then jesus is going to come reign for a thousand years and then the devil is going to break loose and they're going to fight again and then we'll enter eternity this like very complicated thing um i wouldn't I, I would disagree with that you can listen to our episode on revelation like joss said um but basically i mean as 
as far as the end times go, Jesus says no man knows the day or the hour. Yep. Uh, we don't. I believe that the Bible is very clear. Jesus is going to come back physically, and and then and we will be resurrected, and we will be with him in his presence, and that's an awesome thing to look forward to. Uh, but we don't know when that's going to be, and I think it's kind of foolish to try to figure it out. Right. Uh, and and honestly, kind of arrogant to think that. Oh, for that sure. Jesus says no man knows the day or the hour. Like, well, I'm going to be the one who figures it out. Like we don't know, and I pray that that day will come soon. I would, I, I would love it. I think one of the issues with a lot of Christians, one of the things that really displays a, a heart that is not totally uh, um, pure under Christ's lordship, <laughs> uh, is is that a lot of Christians don't actually seem to desire Christ's return, right? Or at least not right now. They're like, well, you know, I want to get married first. I want to, you know, sleep with sleep with my spouse first, or do have kids nice. first, or whatever it is. Um, but I mean, I would love it if Christ returned right now as we're recording this podcast, honestly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, that'd be pretty cool. That'd be awesome. And anyway, so we, we don't know though. And uh, I mean, Jesus does talk about in Matthew, uh, signs like wars and rumors of wars and different like birth pains of the end times. And, and I mean, we, we see a lot of those things. And the thing is though, that, that people try to read those into whatever time they're in. So it's dangerous. Oh yeah, for sure. Every generation to to thinks that it's the end of the world. Yeah. And, right. And, and scripture says that he will come like a thief in the night when we're least expecting. So our call as Christians is to be ready and be prepared and, and be watchful for his coming. Um, and until then, we wait. So uh, just as a Christian, look forward to the day when Christ returns and know that it will be the fulfillment of all your hopes and longings. And it'll be beautiful. It'll be awesome. It'll be freaking lit is what freaking it'll be. Freaking <laughs> lit. And that's what Jesus is going to say. What up, bros? It's freaking lit, fam. And then he'll dab on the haters. Dab. Bam, 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 bam. That's, that's how he'll send them to judgment is he'll, like, point them to judgment by, like, dabbing in the direction that they need to go. Ah. Haters. Yeah, that's my theory. Haters going to um, hate. So anyway, that that's the last question we have. Oh goodness! Uh, this kind of devolved into madness. I don't. Goofiness. I don't know. Hope. Hopefully, this was helpful to someone. I think it was uh, fun. If anything, I had fun. I, yeah, I had fun too. Uh, shooting from the hip, going a little wild. Kapow, kapow. Uh, thank you guys for submitting the questions. Like we said, feel free to request more if you want a full episode on any of these. We would love to do it. So just let us know what you're wanting. Um, you can reach us at our website, theologiesdoesn'tsuck.com. We have the contact us page. Uh, you can also reach us on Instagram, which is managed <laughs> by Josh Patterson himself, which yeah. is at Theology Doesn't Suck. It's a great, great little thing. Um, and other than that, is there anything else coming up? Anything else people need to be aware of? Uh, not that I can think of. All right. Well, then. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for bearing with us through all the madness that was this Q&A episode. <laughs> um, we love you. We we cherish your listenership. And uh, share this episode with your friends. Spread the word. We'd love to uh, get this out there to more people. So yeah, most definitely. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. And we will see you next week. Go Caps.